God is involved in so many good things here at First Baptist Church, and many of you volunteer in those so that we can make an impact uh, outside the walls of the church. So thank you for all that you do. Oswald Chambers was a Scottish Baptist minister in the mid-20th century. He's a YMCA chaplain. He was an evangelist, founded a training college for ministers in London. Best, of course, he's best known for his book, My Utmost for His Highest. Oswald Chambers said, the best measure of the spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. We, we love the ecstasies. We love those moments whenever we sing or we hear a word and, man, we're lifted up, we're encouraged, and we feel like we're just about to go to heaven at that moment. We love those times, but those are not the times that really measure who you are spiritually. The measure of that is how obedient you are. We're looking this morning at the narrative of a young man in Kings whose life rose and fell upon obedience. So I want us to look this morning, the rise and the fall of the man of God. Read with me 2 Kings 13, starting in verse 7. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. The man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go with you. I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Go to verse 15. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to me, I also am a prophet, as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Our story this morning, once again, like last Sunday, develops in three acts. Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. So let's begin, first of all, looking at Act 1, the setting. Our story picks up this morning after the reign of Solomon. Solomon's reign was powerful. Israel was, 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 uh, was the golden age of Israel. But whenever he died, his sons were not capable of keeping the kingdom together. And so they divided the kingdom into north and south. Israel divided into northern Israel and southern Israel. The northern part had ten of the tribes. They were known as Israel. The south had two of the tribes. They were known as Judah. So they each had their own kings, Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam in the south. They both had their own leaders. In fact, they were at war with one another. It was a civil war. But here is the problem. Where do you worship? God was very meticulous about worship. It had to be in the 
same location, Jerusalem, had to be in the temple, had to be specifically the way he commanded it, had had to be the right people leading it, the Levites. It had to be exactly the way God commanded. Jerusalem and the temple is in the south. No problem for those living in the south. You just keep going to worship at Jerusalem like God told you to. But what if you live in the north? You don't have a place to worship. You're, you're not going to go back to the south every time it's time to worship. They hate the south. They're not, they don't want the, the southern Judean dirt on their feet. They hate it. So how do you worship? So they had two options. Don't worship. Disobey the commands of God. Or go back. Go back to Judah. Go back to Jerusalem. And seethe every moment you're there. Or maybe there was a third option. The king of Israel's name was Jeroboam. Jeroboam decided, why don't we just make places of worship up here? Simple. But God didn't tell him to do that. Let's make two of them. It's a pretty large, Judah's small. Northern Israel's large. Let's make two of them, one in northern Israel at a place called Dan, where all the northern Israelites can come worship, and one near the border of the south called Bethel. And those that live in this portion can go there. You can choose this one. You can choose this one. We'll just make our own place of worship. Everybody's happy, except that God did not command him to do that. So Jeroboam commanded the construction of two temples, one at Dan, one at Bethel. And he told them, now both of you create, carve out a golden calf to worship. Golden calf? What? That sounds like all the way back in Exodus when Moses went up on the top of Mount Sinai and Aaron melted down all of their jewelry and earrings and made a golden calf and they worshipped it and God was angered. Why would Jeroboam create two golden calves? One at Dan and one at Bethel? And he told the people, Israel, these calves are the ones that brought you out of Egypt. That was blasphemy. And he created a new priesthood. And he created new days of worship. And he created all new things about worship that Jeroboam wanted, not God. And the Bible tells us that God was angered with Jeroboam and angered with the north. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet for all the kings that followed, that walked in the ways of Jeroboam and kept those altars up. By the way, today, archaeology, archaeologists have gone in at Dan in the northern part. We go to Dan whenever we're there in, in Israel. We go up to the northern border there because that's where Caesarea Philippi is. And so we go up there, and they have found at Dan, they have found cultic paraphernalia. They have found uh, architecture that looks like temples. They have found massive amounts of animal bones. It looks exactly like the temple there, Jeroboam set up. 
They've not found all that at Bethel yet. They will, but they haven't quite found all of that at Bethel yet. So, the Bible tells us, 1 Kings 14, 9, Jeroboam created two altars, one at Dan, one at Bethel, and he did more to create evil and anger the Lord God than anybody else before him. And all the kings that followed, that kept those altars there, said it, they walked in the sins of Jeroboam. Folks, it matters how you do things. It matters to do things exactly as God commanded and not go up here thinking, well, uh, I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm going I'm to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm sure God will bless it. No, God has certain ways of doing things, and we're to, we're to do them the way he has commanded. Now let's go to our story, Act 2, Blessed Obedience. 1 Kings 13 opens in Judah, the southern part. God appeared to a young man there. We don't know his name. He's just called the man of God. God appeared to a man there, a young man called the man of God, and said, I want you to go up to the north, and I want you to go to that temple at Bethel. And, and I want you to go up there and cry against it and say, Jeroboam, you have angered me, and I want you to say exactly what I tell you to say. And whenever you go, here's second instruction, young man, whenever you go, do not eat with anybody and don't drink water with anybody. You go up there, say what I tell you to say, and you come straight back. Got it? Got it. Why was eating such a big thing and drinking? Now, it's not to you and I. You and I, we go out to lunch or dinner with people, and it, it can be, you know, casual fellowship. But in biblical days, to eat with somebody meant that you accepted everything about them, their lifestyle. That's why Jesus eating with sinners was such a big deal. That meant you accepted their lifestyle. You agreed with how they're living. You agreed with what they're doing. So you don't eat with them. God said, go up there, cry out against the altar at Bethel, but come straight back and don't eat with anybody. Because that's implying you're agreeing with the idolatry. Now, we don't know who the young man was. We're not told his name. We don't know his dad. We don't know his tribe. We don't know if he was wealthy, if he was poor. We know nothing about him except he's a man of God. Eight different people are called a man of God in the Bible. Seven in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, those people being called man of God, you have Moses, Samuel was called that. David was called that. Elijah was called that. Elisha was called that. Shemaiah was called that. And this young man, I don't know his name, seven. One in the New Testament was called a man of, a man of God twice, and it was Timothy. Paul called him a man of God twice. Honorable title. So the man of God took off from Judah and went to the north. 
as he went up there, he, he got to Bethel just about the time that they were having the sacrifice. And the one leading the sacrifice was Jeroboam. He's not supposed to lead the sacrifice because priests lead the sacrifice. Here, the king's leading the sacrifice. So he's standing over the altar about to, about to offer the sacrifice whenever the young man from Judah shows up and he starts speaking not to Jeroboam, but he starts speaking to the altar. Hey, altar! This is where Jeroboam is standing over. Altar! Altar! Calls it twice. Have a message for you. God sent me from Judah. Here's the message. This guy standing above you is evil. He is sacrificing on you as God did not command him to. And oh, altar, there's going to be a, somebody from the line of David that raises up. And he's going to be called Josiah years, years down the road. And he's going to sacrifice on you. But he's going to take all of your priests and he's going to sacrifice human bones on you of the priests. And here's what's going to happen, altar. You're going to collapse. And you're going to be crushed and split into. And all of those holy offerings are going to fall in the dirt. Jeroboam's probably standing over and thinking, what on earth is going on? And as soon as he said that, the altar split in two and the offerings fell on the dirt. I can imagine everybody stepped back like, whoa. And it infuriated Jeroboam. He was so angry at that young man doing that. And he said, he tried to grab him and he missed. And he said, grab that man. Go get him. Arrest him. He was angry. Hit pause for a moment. Whenever people are confronted with God's Word, they can have one of two options. They can listen and obey or they can get angry, kill the messenger. Heed the message, or kill the messenger. We're living in a culture today that if you take this book right here, the Word of God, and you try to live it, and you try to believe it, our culture is not going to say, oh, that's wonderful, we all need to do that. They're going to get angry at you. They're going to get red in the face. They're going to call you a hater and a bigot. And they're going to cancel you and they're going to fire you and they're going to sue you because they don't like the message. Jeroboam didn't like the message. Grab that man. Started to walk out. He goes, there he is. Arrest him. And as soon as he said that, his hand and arm paralyzed. His hand dropped. And the Bible said he couldn't pull it back. And he went, well, hold on, what? Something's wrong. I can't move my arm. I, I might have had a stroke. I don't, I don't know what happened. Somebody help. Come here, help. Nobody came. And he said, a young, young man from Judah, come here. Can you pray for me? Interesting. The very hands built the altar 
can't move. Come, come here, can you pray for me? Pray for it to restore. And so he came, the young man did, and prayed over his arm. Now he's not under arrest. Now he's an intercessor, prayer warrior. Those golden calves can do nothing to help Jeroboam now. And so he prayed over it, and whenever he did, it was restored. He could move it, and he could move his arm again. He didn't repent. He just wanted his arm healed. And he said, thank you. Young man, thank you. I don't know how to thank you. I'll tell you what, why don't you come to the palace? Come to the palace. You're not under arrest. I want you to eat my, my king's food, and I've got some gifts I want to give you. Come, come home and eat with me. I want to show my gratitude. The young man said, oh, king, not on your life will I step in your palace. You're in disobedience to God. You could give me half of the kingdom and I wouldn't come home and eat with you. God told me specifically, go up to the north, don't eat with anybody, don't drink with anybody, come straight back. I'm obeying his word. Good day. And he left and headed back to Judah. Folks, there's a strong lesson in this for us. Strictly obey what God has told you to do. Do not substitute. Don't do what you think is right like Jeroboam did. Don't, think what you th don't do what you think is the loving thing to do. That's, that's a big phrase. Well, I'm doing the loving thing. No, do what God's commanded you to do. Period. Good lesson for us. If you... Obey God's word to the letter. God will bless you. But the story doesn't end there. Act 3, tragic disobedience. Act 3, tragic disobedience. If we ended our story right there, we could all go home and it would be ideal. Man, the man of God, he listened to God, and he went up there, and he was bold, and he did exactly what God told him to do and said what God wanted him to say. And, man, praise God for obedience, and we could all go home. But our story starts to get complicated. Notice what happened. The young man was going on his way back to Judah and leaving Bethel. The Bible tells us there was an old man living in Bethel. We don't know his name either. It just says he was an old prophet. If the Bible calls you old, you're old. <laughs> just says an old prophet lived there. His sons came in and said, Dad, you won't believe what happened at the altar today. What? Oh, you won't believe it. This man, this young man from Judah came up, and while Jeroboam was standing there, he started talking to the altar, and he started speaking to it. And what he said happened, happened. It split in two, and everything fell on the ground. And, and, then, and then the king's arm went paralyzed, and he, he, he prayed over it, and you won't believe it. It was wild. And the old prophet said, what, where, where, is, where is that young man? 
Well, he's, he's left town. Which way did he go? He went back toward Judah. Well, I saddle my donkeys. I want to go see him. And we don't know much about the old prophet. Perhaps at one time he spoke for God himself. Perhaps at one time he was close to God himself, but now there he is not saying a word about all the idolatry taking place. He just gets complacent and lives with it. Like we do sometimes. Well, I'll, 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 go, I'll go see him. So he saddles the donkey and he took off riding outside of town. He got outside of Bethel on the way home and he looked and he saw a man sitting under a tree. An oak tree. And he stopped and, and said, are you, are you the young man from Judah? He said, I am. I'm just resting a little bit on my journey home. He said, well, I'm, let me introduce myself. I'm an old prophet. And I would like for you to come to my house and eat with me. I have some bread to, for us to eat and some water for us to drink. Notice how many times in Scripture, by the way, that the men of God of the Old Testament People want to be near them. They keep inviting them in. The Shunammite woman did. They want to be near a man of God. Well, why don't you come to my house and, and eat with me? I want to visit with you for a while. And the young man says, no, I, I can't. Well, why not? God told me very strictly, go up to Bethel, say what, what you have to say. Don't eat with anybody. Don't drink with anybody. Come straight back. He told you that? Yes. That's not what he told me. He told you something? Yeah. He told me you should come home and eat with me and drink with me. God told you that? Yes. An angel. An angel appeared to me. An angel from God. An angel came and said, tell that young man it's okay to come home and eat with you. And the young man said, an angel said that? Yeah. It's not what God told me. Well, that's what he told me. Really? Ah, well, okay, I guess I'll come home and eat with you. And so in disobedience, the young man went to the old prophet's house, sat down and had a meal, ate bread and drank water. It paused just for a moment again. Folks, there's a powerful lesson in that for us. Obey what God has told you, not what other people say God told them. Let me say that again. Obey what God has told you, not what other people say God told them. They can be wrong. God will never contradict himself. Don't listen to anybody who says something that contradicts what God's already said. And they said God told them that. There are so many people today that have all the different beliefs. Well, God told me. But everything they say contradicts what God's already said in his word. God told me to be true to myself. It's, it's fine to change my gender. God told me to be true to who I am. It's, it's okay for me to have an alternative lifestyle. 
God told me to leave my wife or leave my husband because my new girlfriend or my new boyfriend is much more spiritual than my wife was or my husband was. So he wants me to leave them to be with somebody more godly. I've heard that. God told me it's okay for me to not go to church. I can be just as close to him outside of church. He told me that. Then it contradicts what he already said in his word. Those are lying spirits, folks. They're lying to you. God will never tell him, us one thing and you something different. He doesn't contradict himself. He's not a liar. He's truth. Angels can lead you wrong. Did you know that? Did you know angels can lead you wrong? You remember what Paul said to the Galatians? If somebody preaches to you another gospel than what I preach to you, whether it's me or him or an angel from heaven, you let them be accursed. Because this is true. An angel from heaven can tell you something different? Did you know that the Mormon faith began with a lying angel? Angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith. Oh, no, 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 that's just part of the word. You found the rest of it. Angels, even angels, can lead you wrong. And so the young man from Judah went up there and they're eating supper together. And all of a sudden, the old prophet says, young man, I have a confession to make to you. I lied to you. No angel appeared to me. God didn't tell me that. He didn't? No. You've now disobeyed the words of your Lord. But now he has given me a message to tell you. What's that? The message is that he gave you strict commands to leave Judah on a mission and you were to eat with no one and you were to go straight back. And since you disobeyed that, he told me to tell you, you're going to die before you get home and you'll not be buried with your fathers. Quiet. They finished the meal, and after the meal, the Bible says that the old prophet helped him saddle his donkey, and, and the young, of, young man of God took off back to Judah. He left Bethel. He's riding along the road on his donkey, and the Bible says lying there in wait, perhaps in the trees, was a lion. Lions were in Israel up until at least verified through the 13th century. They're not there today. They were at least through the 13th century. And a lion was waiting on him. The young man was riding back home on his donkey. The lion came out of the trees and hit the young man and knocked him off the donkey. And he's lying dead in the road. And the donkey and the lion are standing there side by side looking at him. Just looking at him. 
Some people come along and they see what's happened and they don't want to get close. There's a wild animal over there. And so they, they go on back to Bethel and they go to the, the, the town and say, I, there's, a, there's a young man that's dead in the road up there. And, and the old prophet, his antenna goes up. Really, where? They told him where. He saddled his donkey, so I've got to go see. The old prophet rode out of town, and sure enough, lying in the road was the young man of God from Judah. And as he, as he rode up, the donkey and the lion, side by side, looking at the young man, they look at the old prophet and look back at the young man. Now, that's odd. Odd that we don't have something going on here. I mean, the lion is not chasing the donkey trying to eat him, and the lion is not eating the man of God in the street. He's just standing there. In fact, in this whole story, the lion is the only one who did what God told him to do. And so the old prophet rides up and gets off of his donkey and looks, and sympathetic pains go through him. He says, oh, man of God, and picked him up put him on his donkey, and rode back into Bethel. He says, I want to give you a proper burial. Today's a sad day, young man, my brother, sad day. I want to bury you in my tomb. Theologians really don't know why the old prophet suddenly had sympathetic pains for the young man. Some believe that maybe he remembered back to the time when he was a true prophet, and he saw in him what he used to be like, maybe. Maybe he also thought, well, you know, this young man did something I couldn't do, and that's stand up to the king. I respect him. We don't know if that was it either. But for whatever reason, he took the young man back and said, sons, I, I want to bury him in my tomb. And whenever I die, I want you to bury me right next to this godly man. I want my bones touching his bones. He was really a man of God. Story ends. Folks, when God's Word says something, don't dismiss it. When God tells you to do something, don't just blow it off. If God has told you not to have premarital sex as a, as a heterosexual, don't have premarital sex. If God has said in His Word homosexual activity is wrong, don't be, have homosexual activity. If God has told you in His Word that you're to be active in church, get active in church. Don't make excuses. If God's Word says you need to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, you need to get up here at the invitation. Don't just sit there Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We have ministers standing here and you just leave. Take God's word seriously when he tells you to do something. Sometimes we look at, we look at obedience and say, what did the man of God do that wasn't, what, that wasn't that big of a deal? You see, obedience to us is a pretty light thing. But obedience to your Lord is vital. If, if he tells you to tithe, tithe make excuses if if he tells you to forgive somebody forgive somebody don't make excuses whatever he's told you to do 
Do it. And he'll bless you. I was talking to my pastoral intern this week, and we were talking throughout the course of the summer. He interviewed our ministry team, different ministers one at a time, spent an hour or so with them, asking questions like, if you, if you were to do your ministry over again, would there be anything you'd change? What are things you've emphasized? What are just, just learning about each minister? And after it was all over with, he tried to summarize each minister and, and maybe put one word or one phrase to their ministry as they shared it. So we're coming back from getting a pizza this week, and he was telling me about this, and he said, by the way, if I were to ask you that, what one word or phrase characterizes your ministry for the years? I thought for a moment, and I would say obedience. It's vital. If God tells you to do something, do it. If God tells you to go somewhere, go somewhere. If God tells you to stay, stay. Whatever he says, he means, and there's a reason for it. Obey to the letter. You'll be blessed. There was a young pilot learning to fly in a small private plane. He's trying to land. It's cloudy, stormy, couldn't see very well at all. He was just learning, so he's much more comfortable with visual flight rating than he was instrument flight rating. And it's easy to fly a plane when you can see, or, but when you can't see, it's a little more difficult. And so he was kind of frightened, and he's trying to land. Control Tower was trying to talk him to land safely, and so they're trying to get him to, to, to do exactly what they're saying so that they can, they can get him landed safely. And, but he kept interrupting the Control Tower. He'd say, well, I, I see this over here. So I, saw, I, went him out, I see that things that concerned him, and he kept interrupting them. Finally, the, the, the controller said, okay, look, we can see things better than you. We'll take care of the obstructions. You just obey the instructions. We'll get you home. And that's a good word from God's word. What, what, if, what, if, I, what if I believe this and I get, I get fired? What if I believe this and I lose friends? What if I believe this and I'm canceled? What if I believe this and people get mad at me and call me a hater? What if I believe this and I'm sued? What if you, you obey the instructions and he'll take care of the obstructions and he'll get you there safely? Father, I want to thank you today for your word and for this story. It's an odd story, and it makes us feel a little odd. But Lord, if there's one thing that you resonate loud and clear with us, and that is whenever you tell us something, you mean it. Father, there are probably people watching online, probably people sitting in our worship center, they have not taken your commands that seriously. An area or two, maybe three. And Lord, I pray today that you would 
convict upon us and put a searchlight upon us the need to do everything you've told us to do to be an obedient people and that you would bless us father forgive us of where we are many times asked to be blessed but we're in disobedience so god for those people that need to be saved need to trust the atoning saving power of jesus as savior may they come today those people that need to to live life according to the way you've told us may they come today so lord during this time may you be glorified in jesus name amen